Now getting you set for everything Cardinals. This second game is a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mac. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and on the program, we will hear from Cardinals pitcher Austin Gomber. Visited with him today on Scoops with Danny Mac. For those that don't know, started a new show, 10 to 11, every day on 101 ESPN. Manager Mike Schilt, he'll join us. And also, St. Louis native, Atlanta Braves broadcaster, Chip Carey. We're hearing more and more about the proposal that MLB gave the players it's incredibly detailed with safety guidelines. Jeff Passan of ESPN. Baseball as we know it is going to change. Now, it's going to change in really small ways sometimes, Hannah. You're not allowed to spit. You're not allowed to have sunflower seeds on the field. One thing that got a really visceral reaction was the, the point that we will discourage players from showering after the game. That didn't go over well, and the MLBPA, as well as Major League Baseball executives, are going to have their chance to voice some of those concerns, and it can be everything as simple as, hey, we want to take a shower after the game, to, hey, it doesn't exactly say what happens to me if I test positive on the road. Can this truly be done? Major League Baseball feels like this plan needed to be as detailed as it is, not just to get players back and have them feel safe and feel like they're in a healthy environment, but because public health commissioners and local health officials are going to have to rubber stamp any plan that Major League Baseball has to come back if it's planning on coming back in the 26 major metropolitan areas where it plays in. So this was almost a nod to them and to this idea that if we're going to do this, we need to do it as thoroughly as possible and try and cover every contingency possible. It's a daunting task, no doubt. What I've been saying from day one when this started is that, number one, it has to be the health and safety of the players. Then it'll come down to money. Buster only of ESPN. In the end, it's about the money, and it's about coming up with an agreement. You know, the players, uh, and you saw Tony Clark, I mean, dating back two, three weeks, talking about how they're not going to negotiate any more salary rollback? Scott Boris, who's, who's viewed as having a lot of influence on Tony Clark's thinking, saying things along the same lines. Uh, and on the other hand, you have the owners saying that, uh, you know, we need rollbacks because we're going to lose so much money if the players don't give us rollbacks. If the players stand on principle and they say, you know, we're against anything that caps earnings, then it's going to be a big problem. So, bottom line, we hope to have baseball at some point this summer. And last week, I had the chance to visit with Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. Doing well, Danny Mack. I miss you, man. And uh, excited to think about playing baseball again and hopefully seeing you soon. Absolutely. I I would imagine that with the news that we keep hearing and, and you you know, you're intimately involved in in the game of baseball, it's hard not to pay attention to this stuff. How excited do you get about the prospect of potentially having baseball in 2020? Super excited, very optimistic, you know, with some caution there. We still have some hoops to uh, jump through and some hurdles to clear. Um, There's just a lot of moving parts, um, more so than I even realize, um, and find out more about them, you know, as we move forward. But the encouraging thing is, you know, everybody's motivated to play, everybody being players, owners, you know, clearly the commissioner's office. And so, you know, now we're getting to a point where there's a little more clarity and, like I say, optimism 
about being able to put together a plan that has some legitimacy and holding up um, to allow us to, to play baseball again, hopefully, like I say, sooner rather than later. How often, Mike, have you been in contact with your players after everything was shut down? Uh, very often. You know, I've had a rotation that I've basically um, talked to the guys, mostly on the phone one-on-one, um, in some cases through a, a Zoom platform, but effectively um, have spoken with, with every guy in, in a setting uh, at least, you know, once a week um, to make sure that, you know, initially, A, they were safe and got back to their to their home bases and were just in a spot where they were, again, safe and, you know, had food and felt good. And, um, and then after that, once we realized people were in pretty good spots, you know, just checking in on how they're doing, make sure they're still doing fine, be it the support system if they weren't. And then, um, you know, now we're getting to the point where we start to have some baseball conversations. What are those conversations are like? Pull back the curtain a little bit if you can, you know, in terms of what guys are doing and then maybe what they can expect with spring training 2.0. Well, there's varying degrees of guys' of, of abilities. Now as the country starting to open up, guys are having to have a little bit more um, resources and access. Um, by and large, pretty much every single player um, is in really good place um, emotionally, physically, um, the performance group, you know, from a physical standpoint, a working out standpoint, um, basically, um, you know, a high percentage of the guys had some access, whether through the home gym or something through uh, a friend or a family member or uh, a situation where it was safe. But there were, you know, a percentage of guys that didn't have anything. And our performance group was really proactive with them and getting them something they could do at home. Uh, almost immediately that allowed them to continue to work out and stay stay sharp. Um, so that part's been been real positive. I feel like the guys are in a good place and, and getting ready to, um, you know, mentally, physically ready to get going again. Mike Schilt is my guest, Cardinals manager. Mike, I know you eat, live, breathe baseball, so I'm sure you've thought about the scenarios of spring training. So tell our fans, you know, generally speaking, in this unique of all situations – how long does it usually take a player, position player, to get ready? And then how long do you think it would take for a pitcher, uh, in particular a starter, to try to be ready for a, you know, what we think could be an 80-82 game regular season? Yeah, so we're going to have an abbreviated spring train that's going to look around 21 days. And, you know, there's a reason, and people have their own theories, whether it's a regular position player or pitcher or starting pitcher. Um, but even the relievers have to go back-to-back and, and get built up to multiple innings. So the pitching side is usually pretty – pretty much the same um, with a different trajectory, whether a starter or reliever. Um, the regulars feel like they don't need quite as long as the, that we have to, to get going. Um, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, we're gonna, we have 30 of our 40 days for the pitchers and 24 of our 34 days in the bank for our position players. Um, but, you know, we're looking at two plus months of being away from that. So, well, we're not starting at a complete ground zero in some areas, but we are starting basically uh, a resource that, you know, says, you know, physically and you know, individually and collectively, you know, that we're going to have to ramp back up. And really from a physical standpoint, um, we're going to need, and the guys are, are pretty much in a position from pitching and position player standpoint where now they can get out the act that they know what they need, um, but they're going to have to come in to, into camp, which they will. Um, and we're in communication with them uh, to where they, they are a little further along than they would typically be. 
um, in a normal spring training setting, just just on the ramp ups. But we are making sure that a that you know the players understand and we understand with them um, what they can and can't do from a baseball standpoint, physical standpoint, and then we'll adjust and adapt. Um, you know their spring training to individually meet their needs and and make sure they're they're healthy and and being able to progress in a in an appropriate manner. Would you anticipate, Mike, a, a piggyback system maybe initially with some of your starters? Is is that being talked about, or is that even being talked about around the game with a lot of different teams? Uh, you know what? I don't know. Internally, you know, we, we're, we're fortunate. We've got, you know, we had a really good spring. Our starting pitchers was, were in trajectory, you know, real positive. Um, there, were, there were, you know, a lot of competition for, for the spots, you know, with Miles. The, you know, the time is going to be a positive for Miles Michaelis uh, to be able to come back. He's feeling good. So that's another, you know, spot in the rotation. You know, as far as piggyback goes, um, some of it will really be continued upon, Danny, the, the length of time we get leading into spring training. So mm-hmm. if we were able to get, you know, a solid two to three weeks of, of lead time to a report date of that 21-day spring training, um, that'll be a – That'll be a you know real positive to get the starters built up appropriately, hit the ground running. Um, if we have to move the, the season back into the middle of July and still look to play that 78 to 82 game schedule type thing, um, and now you're looking at a few more double headers to get that done, a few less days off. Now you're looking at probably a um, I wouldn't say a piggyback situation, but a uh, you know maybe a, a, a higher you know, instead of a five-man rotation, a six-man rotation type thing, uh, depending on what the schedule looks like. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't see – I think we're going to look, and I can't say this for sure, but my guess is there will be an additional roster spots, um, may, maybe just primarily for pitchers and maybe a couple – two pitchers on the beginning active roster when the season starts. So I don't know if it'll be a piggyback situation necessarily. I wouldn't rule it out, but I think – as we start, guys necessarily aren't filled up. Starters, from a starter standpoint, you know, we've got more relievers to be able to get you to the to the end of the game um, without it being an official piggyback. Sure. We, we hear so much, Mike, about the DH or doubleheaders, and they could be seven innings long or starting a winning run in extra innings uh, in scoring position. Do any of these things that you're hearing um, pique your interest? I'm just curious as a guy that loves this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, we've had some conversations about it. I think I don't know what's exactly in the proposal right now to the players. Um, from that standpoint, you know, from a DH perspective, you know, clearly I'd prefer to the games to be in national in a National League setting um, for a variety of reasons. It's just a better game. Um, but uh, you know, I think there is a a chance that the DH for this year at least will be in both leagues, especially if we end up playing a lot of interleague play in. in um, AL Central, uh, more so than normal to limit travel. Um, as far as double headers go, you know, my hope is that you know we have a schedule that's more representative of what what's normal um, for a variety of reasons, pitchers, position players. Um, but again, if we push back the start of the schedule uh, to the middle of July or something like that, double headers are going to be probably a part of the equation. And at that point, I, I would be more than comfortable with. Um, the two seven-inning games, I'm a traditionalist, um, but also recognize that we're in t- times that, you know, candidly just are a reflection of, of, pro- of change for 
for just common sense. And sure. I think you know, being able to play a couple seven-inning games um, and then, you know, extra inning games, you know, based on um, the number of games and based on protecting guys' health and pitching. And people say, ah, you know, well, they, but it's real. You know, if you get in a situation, we, you know, I don't know what our minor league system is going to look like. That's that's going to be compromised. I'm pretty certain. And we're gonna, we will have some level of taxi squad. But, um, you know, player health is, is really important. And, and, you know, these guys are, as Tony would say, they're men, not machines. And um, so I do feel like it's smart to be able to, um, with the pitching, but also the position players, Dan, you know, I mean, these guys get out there and they grind every day. And I don't know that we're going to see an expanded roster for position players. So that may be a number of 13. So you're talking about double headers and, you know, guys going out there and playing without a lot of days off. Um, you know, it, just, it takes a toll, you know, it takes a toll on guys. So, um, so the two, you know, maybe two sevens would be fine. Having something in extra innings that says, um, you know, we start with a runner second, um, my suggestion was runner third for a couple of reasons, but, um, you know, look, that's the game, you know, and it's been played like that internationally, first and second. Um, so it really gets down to be execution and I always feel like we have a good chance when, when it gets down to execution. So um, it'll look different. I'm not opposed to it. Um, and, uh, you know, biggest thing is getting back on the field and playing. Absolutely. A couple more questions, Mike, and I'll let you go. Um, you mentioned the international game. Have you been paying attention at all to the KBO and just how that's been played with no crowd and, and just the different atmosphere? Have you, have you watched any of that? And then as a follow-up, just managing with no crowd. I, I assume you had that sometimes in the minor leagues, and what do you think that atmosphere will be like for a major league club? Well, I have watched the KBO. Um, it was just good to see a lot of baseball. I've been watching baseball and you know, games that you've already seen or I have watched and managed new games that uh, I've never seen before. Um, just to keep myself mentally going and sharp. Um, but, uh, you know, the KBO was good to watch and see and see a lot of baseball being played again. It was different. Um, but I think that importance of getting your head around different and creating a new norm is important to, for your focus um, and is going to be a, a big part of, of how individuals and teams compete well, the teams that are able to do it, the individuals that are able to do it. Um, but it was, it was a little surreal, you know, seeing a – seeing a game in a, in a big stadium without any crowd and, uh, you know, have experience with it um, in extended spring training. I, I mean, that's definitely a, a, a no crowd situation um, there. So, um, you know, in the, in the minor leagues, of course, you get higher in the minor leagues. You, you have an opportunity to, um, to, to get more of an opportunity to play in front of crowds. You know, there's nothing really like Dan, and you know this, there's nothing really like playing playing for a big league crowd, especially our crowd in St. Louis. Um, you know, it's just a special, special thing. There's a lot of energy to it. And, and um, you know, I just don't um, – I know it's going to be different, but, you know, it's no excuse. We'll, we'll miss the fans. Hopefully we as a country, more importantly, figure out how we can have bigger groups um, participate in what we do um, and then trickle, trickle into the opportunity for baseball to have more opportunity for – for fans to enjoy our game in person and us to get the enjoyment of working uh, in front of people that, that love the game, have passion for the game, clearly our fan base. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it's something we'll have to get used to initially. And, and um, you know, I really think our group will mentally be able to make the adjustment the best of it to our ability for sure. Final question, uh, Mike Schilt, what do you miss most about the game and what are you most looking forward to that maybe you took for granted in the past, if you did take anything for granted in the past? 
Yeah, you know what? You always take things a little bit for granted. I'm, in, you know, in res- in retrospect, you know, I, I feel pretty good and I always stay grateful for um, what we have, the opportunity to have to manage the St. Louis Cardinals, amazing blessing, and the and and, and just you know the game itself, the relationships, the, the players, the competition, um, you know. But what I've really missed has been the the group, our staff. We're close. Uh, our players, you know, it's a close-knit group. I love the – I miss the preparation. Um, and I'm most looking forward to getting back to, to that and then, of course, the actual game itself. And just seeing our guys go out there and compete and lay it out there is, is um, something I'm really excited about getting back to. I know I, our fans, and I speak on behalf of, of them, I guarantee it, they can't wait to see you. We are wanting Cardinal baseball. We miss it so much. And, and Mike, I miss seeing you. Soon enough, hopefully we'll get together and we'll be able to talk about what's happening on the field for sure. But I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah, Danny, always a pleasure and have a blessed day, my friend. That's Mike Schilt. Up next, you'll hear from Austin Gomber. He was on 101 Today, and you're listening to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. One of the guys I can't wait to watch this season, and I'm saying I can't wait to watch this year because I believe there's going to be baseball and it's left-handed pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Austin Gomber, who's having just a terrific spring. Would have played a role. Not sure what that role may have been this year with the Cardinals, but uber-talented from the left side and a guy that when he made his debut was certainly, certainly thought of as one of the top prospects in baseball and considered to be a guy that the Cardinals will count on this year. Austin, as always, good to hear your voice. I hope you and the family are safe. How are things going? Yeah, everything's going well here. You know, just kind of uh, doing what most people are, just trying to find a way to burn time. Um, You know, but everybody's healthy, which is obviously the most important thing. And, uh, like you said, man, just looking forward to, you know, hopefully being able to, you know, get back into the swing of things soon. How how are guys, and, and maybe you can shed some light on what you're doing, and when you're talking to players, your teammates, or other guys around the league, it's a tight-knit group. How are guys uh, trying to stay in shape, especially on the pitching side? What are, what are some of the things you can do? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, luckily, like, uh, you know, with everything being closed down, you know, you could still go out to – you know, a park or something like that and throw. I think the the biggest difference is probably just as far as just weight training, trying to find as, you know, the equipment as much, because not everybody has, you know, access to a gym or an at-home gym. Um, so that's been really the most challenging thing for probably most guys and definitely for me. You know, it took me a few weeks to kind of, you know, find the lay of the land and try to figure out what I was going to do. But luckily I've been able to throw the whole time, you know, just grab somebody, go to the park. And, you know, most areas, most guys are from, you know, you go back home. So you obviously have people that you play catch with in the off season. So finding a throwing partner wasn't too difficult. So I felt like from an, you know, an arm, just pure arm strength throwing standpoint, you know, I was able to kind of keep off, keep where I was and, you know, that's all, all we're trying to do with this big of a layoff. It's tough to try to, you know, time it up to build up and stuff like that. So it's really let's just try to maintain as much arm strength as we can and be ready to go when we get the call. We, we all hear the rumors that baseball uh, could come back. So 
Do you try to maybe guess when you come back and say, okay, this would be like my February and, and this is kind of like my March, so I got to ramp it up a little bit more? Or is that, are you just trying to kind of like maintain and then when you get there, you get there and whenever that is, it is? Yeah, I think it, the way I'm kind of going about it is just trying to, trying to keep my arm strength up so that I'm not going to be caught off guard whenever we do get, you know, the call to show up. Um, but as far as like a build up thing for me, I'm just trying to stay flexible and just, just be ready to go when I can. It's tough to, you know, replicate building up, especially in like the atmosphere when now, when you don't have, you know, hitters, innings, stuff like that. Um, but it's not hard to keep the arm strength up. So really, um, and that's, that's kind of what I've been hearing from, you know, just people, other guys around the league, it's just we're going to have to be flexible with this. This is obviously going to be something that we haven't ever seen before. And so, you know, as long as you come in in shape and ready to go, you know, everybody's going to be dealing with the same thing. So at that point, it's just try to build up as fast as you can, but also be smart about it. Um, You know, that's kind of been the big thing too is, you know, when we show up, let's be smart about how we build up and stuff like that so that you know we don't have injuries because like I said I mean none of us have ever done this before absolutely Uh, Austin Gomber is my guest and I've been thinking a lot about you because last year we've been on a bunch of caravans together so we've gotten to know each other and and last year it was a tough year for you physically and I know talking with you in spring training I said, what are you trying to get out of this? He said, man, I just want to be healthy and get back with the guys. And you did it. And you looked really good. This is this has got to be tough on you right now because I know you feel, I don't know if it's 100%, but you're back, man. And you were showing it in spring training. So how tough has this been on you just to, to itch to get back to the game and show what you can do? Yeah, I mean, it's been, like I said, I mean, it's probably been tough on everybody. It's definitely been tough on me just because, from the standpoint of being down in rehab last year, I mean, obviously miss playing, but you really just miss, you know, being around the guys, being, you know, being around the guys that are having breakout years, you know, guys that I came up with, like Paul, you know, not being able to be there, you know, and Paul becomes an all-star for the first time and, and Jack blows up and all these guys that, you know, I played with for years in the minor leagues coming up and kind of knew what they were capable of and, and got to see, you know, the process all along the way, but I just wasn't, you know, able to see the finished product in person. So that was really like probably the most frustrating thing was, you know, getting back in spring, just so excited just to be around the guys again, man, just to be there on a daily basis with those guys and, you know, see all the guys that I hadn't got to see in a couple months. And, you know, and then, like you said, just had spring was, you know, I felt like I was throwing the ball pretty well in spring and things were trending in the right direction. And then, you know, it's frustrating that things got shut down, but, um, you know, I think the spring definitely put me in a better spot going forward. And, and, you know, so all I can do is, is stay ready. And then when, you know, when we show up, just try to pick off, pick up where I left off. Austin, how often do you talk to your teammates and then by extension, maybe Mike Maddox and Mike Schilt and just checking in on each other and seeing how things are going? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we've been in contact as, you know, a group or, small like uh you know smaller groups as team zoom calls with you know Shilty and, and mad dog and you know i have a weekly call with mad dog and training staff and so the, the communication's been good you know it's kind of just been more of you know them just checking in how everybody's doing how the family's doing because like you said man we don't know you know obviously 
when they call, you know, how you feel and stuff like that. But the calls more have just been more personal calls, you know, how's your family doing? How's your situation going? Just because, you know, Shilty's built a good thing here with, you know, the culture and the culture we have in the clubhouse. And, and, you know, it's just been for us, it's just kind of been normal. You know, obviously we've been away from each other, but the communication and stuff has still been the same. Having come up through the minor leagues, and there's going to be times where there's not a lot of people in the seats to watch a minor league game. Do you think if you're pitching in front of no fans, does it take you back a little bit to maybe what you dealt with in the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it'll be different. I think just, you know, if we're able to get going and we get to play in Bush, to see Bush empty will definitely be different. Um you know, but it's still it's still competition. It almost I think will you know maybe intensify the competition on the field just because it's such a you almost feel like there's nobody there and it's just a one v one. You know, you versus the hitter, uh, no noise. I mean, I'm sure it'll take some adjust getting used to, but I think uh, you know with this layoff, guys are just going to be so excited to get back out on the field that you know I think it'll be this year more than ever. We'll probably be just extremely competitive. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Austin Gomber, my guest, and big, big things expected for the Cardinal left-hander. And I know this one really is going to be a tough question for you to answer. So we may not have a designated hitter, or we may have the DH. So as it pertains to a guy that can slug, like you, Austin, a guy that, you know, you're dying to swing the bat in a game – uh, if there's the DH universally brought into the game, are you happy? Are you upset? Do you want to swing the bat? Where Where are you from a pitcher's perspective? I mean, I enjoy. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I enjoy hitting. Um, obviously, I, obviously, I understand. You know, the people that want the DH in both leagues, just from a pure par- parity standpoint, and also, you know, it creates more jobs, creates more designated hitter jobs. It helps out the players. So anything that helps out the players, I'm for. But I mean, I also wouldn't be mad if I had to keep hitting. You know, I think <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun, man. You know, it, it just takes you back to when you're younger. You know, you get to hit BP every day. Like, I mean, coming up as a pretty much once you get to college as a pitcher only, you know, the last thing I'm thinking of is I'm going to be hitting BP daily in Bush Stadium. So that was always cool to me. And, you know, to get to face, like I got to face in 18, I got to get in the box against Clayton Kershaw. Like that, that's cool to me. It's a guy that I've looked up to my whole life. So, I mean, there's some parts of the game that hitting has allowed me to do that, you know, things I'll never forget. But at the same time, I mean, if it's going to be a universal DH, I understand it. You know, I understand it from, you know, the business side of things and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I like hitting, and as long as we're allowed to keep hitting, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I wanted you to come out and say, Danny Mac, I want to rake, okay? I don't, I don't like I mean, this. I would love <laughs> – yeah, yeah, I do want to rake. But, I mean, I also – you know, I understand it. Um, and it, and it, to me, at this point, it kind of feels like it's inevitable. It you know, sure does. Kind of been, you know, it's something that I think when it was first brought up, you know, a lot of people kind of fought it off at first. And now I feel like it's just been didn't talked about so long that it's inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. So, you know, whenever it does happen, you know, I understand it and it is what it is. Do you ever go back and watch your near no hitter? And do you ever wonder in the near no hitter in your debut in Cincinnati, what the heck was going on with the sirens between innings as you're taking a no hitter late into a game? 
Um, I mean, I've, I've rewatched it before for sure. Um, no, I mean, it was just like, I was just in such a, like trying to explain why I don't even know. Like if you, I've talked to Ponce about it too, because obviously he did the seven Oh hit the night before. And that was both of our first starts. And it was just like, we were in a different zone. Like just the first time out there, I had been able to, you know, have a couple outings in the big leagues at that point, but didn't get to start. And that was something that I always wanted to do. So like, just meant like, I don't even, I was like blacked out for the whole game. <laughs> so like, I get that question. Like people ask me all the time, like, what were you thinking? I was like, I don't even, no, because they had a pitch hitter out on deck for me the inning before. And so I was just hoping I got to stay in the game. So then when I ran out there and the fire alarm went off, I, I didn't even think anything of it because I was just like pumped to still be in the game because I thought they were going to take me out, to be honest. So, Absolutely. I um, was upset that the sirens went off. Yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't ideal, and I wish it didn't happen. Um, and I feel like I would have more – more of a bone to pick maybe if it was like the ninth inning yeah you know yeah for sure you know because there was, there was still so much more game go, to go um and in that park obviously you've been there a lot that, you know things can go wrong fast there so you know it, it it is what it is obviously i wish it wouldn't have happened but you know i i'm i wasn't really upset about it maybe if it was the ninth that would have been a different story but you know nevertheless it was a memorable for sure absolutely I, I i'll wrap it up with this guys like yachty guys like wayno you're around them every day pull back the curtain for fans a little bit and and what they meant and have meant to you um in your career and trying to get you to the next level and and to stay in the big leagues or yachty guiding th you through a game or wayno doing the same thing in a dugout w what's it like to be around those two guys uh yes yeah, so i'll start with yachty um I mean, quite simply put, I don't know if you saw the stuff that came out recently about, you know, how he wants to be remembered and how he thinks of himself. I mean, that's pretty much how everybody in our clubhouse thinks of him. You know, I think he's the best catcher in baseball and and one of the best to ever do it. And really just to be able to be lucky enough to come up in the same organization in the same era and just be able to have my first big league start, have him behind the plate. I mean, that's enough right there that I'll never forget that, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of people that could say, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I got to throw to Yadier Molina. So for me, just being able to just share a clubhouse with him, throw to him, you know, was obviously something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And then being able just to see how he handles himself. I mean, the consummate pro, uh, there's a reason that he's a fan favorite. He's been here for so long and he means so much to, you know, everybody that has anything to do with the Cardinals organization. And then with Wayno, when people ask me about Wayno, I just, I mean, he's really probably the best guy I've ever met. Like, take out baseball out of it. I mean, you've been around him for a long time. He's just a great human. You know, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, what he does for us young pitchers in the clubhouse and stuff is so small compared to, you know, the person he is off the field and how he is off the field with us that, you know, it's almost – I almost feel like it would be a dig at him to say the best thing he does for us is, you know, groom us and help us grow in our careers because what he does for us is so much bigger than that off the field. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're both great. That's as, uh, as well put and a compliment as you can give to both those guys. Hey, Austin, I, I want to say thank you very much. I know these are tough times for so many people, but – 
you know, baseball players too. We're, you know, human beings. We want to get back to work. I know you want to get back to work. Uh, and we're all just trying to stay safe and healthy. So I appreciate your time and can't wait to see you in person in St. Louis. And let's hope it's sooner rather than later. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on. From Austin Gomber and Mike Schilt, coming up next, I'll visit with Chip Carey, St. Louis native, calling the Atlanta Braves games. And we'll get into his legendary grandfather, Harry Carey, his legendary father, Skip, what Cardinals baseball has meant to him, and also just the lineage of great announcers that have been a part of the St. Louis sports scene. That's next. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. His father was legendary. That was Skip Carey. Grandfather, well, he was pretty good too. That's Harry Carey and the grandson, has been outstanding in his own right. A St. Louis native, now calling Atlanta Braves baseball, and he's been doing that for a long, long time. And it's one of my best friends, and that is Chip Carey. Always good to hear your voice, Chip. How are things? I'm doing great, Danny. I was independent contractors just hanging out, trying to uh, make ends meet until we get back and starting baseball. And uh, great to hear your voice, too. I know these are tough times for the folks in St. Louis, but I know you're doing a great job entertaining your audience and I know you can't wait to get back behind the microphone calling those Cardinal games like me with the Braves. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, I think, and uh, when that happens, it'll really be a great day. As I mentioned, you're a St. Louis native, so you know all yeah. about Cardinal baseball and, and your legendary grandfather and everything that goes into Cardinal baseball. So when you think about growing up here in St. Louis, did you grow up a Cardinal fan? Oh, of course. I mean, look, as you know, uh, at least in my era, I'm a little older than you are, but when, when I was uh, a youngster, you pretty much knew the starting lineup for the 64 Cardinals before you knew the ABCs. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of people who still think I know that more than me, the ABCs <laughs> now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh, it, it is really an amazing thing. You know, people from there get it. There's a culture, there's an expectation of watching a great ball club or at least a ball club. Uh, play the game the right way. And uh, that was something that I even appreciated as a, a little kid trying to play Little League Baseball. My coaches would say, hey, we're going to try to play the Cardinal way. And growing up and understanding the game and learning it and watching it now broadcasting, you can see how those philosophies that George Kissel implemented, uh, that Branch Rickey implemented and still carry on today, uh, and why it makes a franchise like the Cardinals and like the Braves uh, so successful. They have the courage to stick with their principles. They are unwavering principles. Um, they do, they they try to put a product on that is representative of the great fan base that they represent. And uh, my understanding is that the players realize that that that, uh, that bird and those birds in that bat on the front of the shirt are a whole lot more important than the name on the back of it. And I think people with that Midwestern sensibility really, really appreciate that. And certainly as a kid, I did as well. There was a tremendous article on you recently. And without getting too personal, and you just mentioned playing Little League Baseball, uh, you got the chance to to see your grandfather at a Little League game. But, and this yeah. article was on you, but th- your grandfather didn't know you. And, and what I bring up that point is that we're in a business where we travel a lot, and you know what? Harry Carey was a brand all of his own, wasn't he? He was. He was Harry Carey. He wasn't uh, a dad or a grandfather in the, in the traditional sense that you and I would understand or appreciate or many of your fans would. Uh, he was uh, you know, an orphan in St. Louis, and he was a typical uh, you know, American success story. He had to fight his way up the ladder just to survive. And once he got to the point where he became successful, he was going to do everything in his power to stay at the top of his powers. 
Uh, you know, he ruffled a lot of feathers along the way. He also made a lot of friends along the way, went obviously to the Hall of Fame, but uh, he didn't have the, the skill set to be a, a father, as we would imagine, or, or a grandfather, much less. And so, yeah, I was at a Little League game. Um, uh, Harry's widow, Dutchie, uh, was there with her son playing baseball. I was playing on a, a separate field. One of my teammates told me that my grandfather was there, and uh, I walked by and waved, and he might as well have been waving at you, Dan. He didn't know who I was. That was obviously upsetting, and one of my coaches saw me upset and said, what's wrong? I told him the story, and he walked by and introduced me to my grandfather. And He, he said, this, this young man's a pretty good player. I thought you'd like to meet him. He said, hey, young man, what's your name? And before I could say anything, my coach said, he's your grandson, Chip. And truly, you could hear a pin drop in this ballpark, and nobody knew what to say. I just shook his hand and said, hey, I'll see you later, and walked off. And you know, he came and found me and everything else. was obviously embarrassed. But to your point, it wasn't a malicious thing. It wasn't a uh, you know mean-spirited thing. He just was in Chicago and was at a different stage in his life. My parents were divorced, so he didn't see me. Um, and so that's a moment that stuck with me for a long, long time, uh, only because it taught me the importance of being a family guy and understanding how important my wife and my kids are. And while I am far from perfect, and while this business takes us away from a lot of the special moments uh, that, that matter so much more than a baseball game in Pittsburgh, for example, uh, at least I can go to bed at night knowing that my wife and my kids and someday my grandkids will know me and I'll never have to worry about uh, uh, waving at them and wondering, is that mine? <laughs> is that my offspring or not? And uh, that, that was a, a real, real big, important life's lesson for me that I learned when I was 13 or 14 years old. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Chip Carey, again, great broadcaster, NBA, now doing the Atlanta Braves. Uh, my guest, St. Louis native. And, you know, family is so important to you. And obviously a story like that resonates. But you made a point to go work with your dad in Atlanta and to make sure that you guys kind of rekindled um, a father-son relationship. What what was that like being beside your dad doing some games? Awesome. Uh, you know, it's, it was amazing. You know, my dad was at the peak of his powers, obviously, when I got back to Atlanta in 2005. And I was sort of hired by TBS to sort of do what I was going to do in Chicago. I was going to be the next generation to carry Braves baseball into the next 20 years. And uh, it got sidetracked with the network job, which I really wasn't prepared for and quite honestly didn't do a very good job at. Um, I'm an everyday baseball guy. And having that opportunity to go home to, so, so to speak, to Atlanta, where my major league career started in 91, uh, was a dream come true. All the same people in the front office were there. All the same people in the coaching staff and manager's office were still there uh, 14 years later. Uh, a lot of the same players were there. Uh, and all the same broadcasters were there. So for me, it was like stepping into a very, very comfortable shoe. The difficult part was we had five guys for four spots. And uh, that, that made things a little dicey with Don Sutton from time to time. Um, but ultimately, it worked out. He ended up going to Washington and then came back to Atlanta. I settled in with the Braves, and I'm still there. But more importantly, I got to uh, relate to my dad as his son. Um, he didn't see me an awful lot growing up. Uh, he'd do his visitations and uh, do all of his due diligence as a responsible father would do. Uh, but he didn't really know me until I was a professional broadcaster with, with the Orlando Magic at 24. And we'd see each other a little more frequently and all of that. But uh, to be able to take him uh, to his doctor's appointments, to pick up his dry cleaning, to go to lunch with him, to have a cocktail with him on the road, to do a game with him, to sit in the booth and, and never step on each other's toes as broadcasters. It was just so seamless and so fun. And we always knew where each other was going to go with, with the broadcast. So there's an instant chemistry, which is obvious. 
but he let me do things my way. I let him do things his way, and uh, a lot of people really enjoyed it, and it was an unforgettable time. What's the story behind, there's a great famous photo of Harry, Skip, and Chip all getting ready to do a major league game. What's the story behind that photo? Well, it's interesting you bring it up. It was this day, 29 years ago, that that happened. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. 29 years ago today. It doesn't seem possible. Uh, um, Braves were at Wrigley Field. And uh, someone had the idea that, wait a minute, this is the first time that three generations of broadcasters are going to be doing the game. And I was working with my father on the Braves side. Harry was doing the game with the Cubs with Steve Stone. And we decided to do an open that would be taped and used by both WGN and WTBS uh, on the air. Uh, As you can imagine, Dan, I'm 26 years old at the time. I don't know anything. I'm just trying to survive and do a game and have fun. I didn't realize at the time the significance of that moment, not just for me and my dad, but for my grandfather. Again, uh, he was born in an era where you wanted your son to do exactly what you did, and he kind of tricked my dad to get into the business. My dad was the opposite. If I wanted to be a broadcaster, he'd help me, but I had to tell him that's what I wanted to do. So for Harry Carey, who didn't know his parents, was an orphan, grew up penniless in St. Louis to see his son and his grandson both broadcasting in the major leagues at the same time, and then able to do a game with him at the same time, uh, for him and for us, it was really the pinnacle. And uh, the only thing that I can think that would top that would be if I get the opportunity to work with one of my sons, both of whom are hopeful of getting into the broadcasting business and both of them whom are so much further along and better advanced than I was at, at their age, which is now 20 or 21 years old. So uh, it was a special day. It went by in, a, in the blink of an eye. But uh, yeah, 29 years ago today, uh, the three of us, I guess, made history. And I don't know if, if that's history that will ever be repeated. I, I seriously doubt it. Chip Carey is our guest. Um, did, did you ever have the chance to ask your father or your grandfather as you got older and then re, you know, got to reconnect a little bit about his time in St. Louis, how it ended? how he enjoyed it, what he thought, any of those kind of things. Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Um, look, you know, my grandfather's end in St. Louis is well documented, and there's no need to, to hash all of that up. Needless to say, he thought that uh, he would be a guy that worked there for 40 or 50 years, and that didn't happen. He worked there for 25 magnificent years. I mean, we could make the case, Dan, that uh, besides you and, and Jim Edmonds, that the greatest broadcasting crew in the history of the Cardinals was Jack Buck and Harry Carey. This is why I love you. uh, This is why I love you. (laughs) I love you. Keep going. This is great. I'm just just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, You know, and so, uh, you know, he he was, you know, as you know, I mean, you're you're from St. Louis. You understand the magical connection that comes from being from that part of the world and representing that incredible franchise. And you do it as well as, if not better than anybody that I've ever seen. And, you know, Harry loved St. Louis. He loved the Cardinals. He lived and died the Cardinals. And I don't think he ever thought that that was going to end. And when it did, uh, there was incredible disappointment and probably anger and bitterness. He said the only regret that he ever had at the time was when he had his farewell press conference at Old Bush's Grove, uh, that he held the press conference and was drinking a Schlitz beer. Instead of a Budweiser, it's the and, best. You know, that was, it's so, best. So that was right, right. I mean, that was his way. You know, that was, I guess, as close to, to saying, okay, you know, you're canning me. Well, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, things came full circle. Uh, Mike Rorty and his great people with the brewery and Mr. Bush brought him back with the Cub fan Budman thing with his dancing and Bud Light and all that stuff, which worked out great. And I think that at the end, my grandfather and and hopefully uh, the Bush family and the Cardinals all came to terms that that time marches on and. You know, his his history, his record there and his run will, will, you know, always be remembered fondly by people who love the Cardinals in the 60s and uh, and 50s. And, and, uh, you know, they've got the tapes and the stories and all that stuff that stays and lives forever, even though he's not here anymore. 
the summer of 98. Um, there's going to be a 30 for 30 coming out, and with no sports, obviously, we're, we're so focused. Many of uh, the sports fans are on the last dance. They'll be focused on right. the new one coming out in, in uh, just, a, I guess, a few weeks on Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. We all know what has transpired in, in that summer. What, what do you want to know from that, from a guy that was behind the mic, you know, calling these great moments with Sammy Sosa and Big Mac? Uh, you had right. all those calls. What do you want to find out? What do you want to see in that documentary? I want to see unbridled joy and just a fascination with and an absorption of how great baseball is, how healing and unifying it is, and how wonderful head-to-head competition can be. Look, I, I think you hit it on the head, Dan. We all have the, the, the value now of 2020 hindsight. And for me personally, knowing what we know or what we think we know, it doesn't in any way diminish what happened over that summer. Again, steroids, uh, Balco, uh, Andro, and all that, all that aside, we forget where baseball was after the strike in 94. And people were still reluctant to come back to the ballpark. And people were still very angry at the owners and players for taking away their game for whatever reason. And the chase that McGuire and Sosa had going was epic on so many different levels. You had a, 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 a an Hispanic man from the Dominican Republic. You had a white California guy from in St. Louis and Chicago, two arch rivals, uh, going toe-to-toe, trying to not only win the home run race and break a record that many thought would be unbeatable, but were also trying to carry their teams into postseason play. And they just, it was, you know, Sammy Sosa would hit a home run on Monday afternoon. McGuire would hit two on Monday night. And then everybody would check the tote board and we'd go back and do it the next day. It was unbelievably exciting theater. It was the ultimate, for me, game within a game. And uh, personally, the fact that that happened in my first season with the Cubs, with Kerry Woods' 20-strikeout game, with the Cubs making the wild card, with a one-game playoff, all that stuff was just, for me personally, a, a wonderful entree into Chicago Cubs baseball culture. And uh, to be in St. Louis when McGuire broke the record and to watch Jack Buck stand and applaud and cry uh, and to later have Jack in our booth in the, in, in the uh, WGN broadcast was truly one of the highlights uh, of my career in my life. I mean, uh, again, like you, Jack Buck lived and died Cardinal baseball. And to see what McGuire accomplished and knowing that he knew Roger Maris and all that he went through and to see something so unbelievable happen in the majestically perfect way that it did where there was no fight over who was going to sell the baseball and some grounds crew kid picks it up and does the right thing. I mean, it was just, it was just a poetic finish, a poetic night. And uh, uh, again, one of the great memories that I'll always have. And I can't wait to relive that when that series starts on ESPN. And I'll fi- uh, finish this up with uh, Chip Carey, great voice of the Atlanta Braves. And as I mentioned, a St. Louis native, uh, the son of legendary broadcaster Skip Carey, grandson of Harry Carey. Um, we make a living off of baseball, and we're hearing about sure. all the different things that are going on and, and how it could unfold. Just in a general sense, where are you right now with what baseball may be presented uh, with and what they may do here in the season of 2020? Well, I think, uh, personally, I think we should be very encouraged that they're talking. I mean, nobody stormed out of rooms from what I've seen or what I've read, right? I mean, everybody could have said, no, we're not doing that, game over, we're done. Uh, They're talking, they understand, I think, Dan, that uh, this is a a once-in-a-generational opportunity to do the right thing and position baseball to be the national pastime and, and market this thing in a way that's never been done before. I love all the new ideas. I'm not a fan of the DH, but this isn't the time to stand on that soapbox. This is a time to concentrate on getting the game back to getting people's, uh, you know, excitement levels up about something to root for. I mean, communities rally around their sports teams. And I, I, I can speak for the fans in Braves country. I'm sure you can speak the same for the folks in St. Louis. 
that your community is is just so anxious to have something else to talk about besides what's all happening in the United States and the rest of the world. And so uh, I'm incredibly hopeful. Again, as a former Cubs announcer, I sell hope better than anybody. Uh, but I think everybody's I think everybody's hopeful that they're going to come to an agreement and we're going to get between 80 and 100 games. And, you know, we'll start spring training sometime in June and, you know, open up in the early days of July, maybe even July 4th. And, you know, nothing is all, more All-American than the 4th of July, fireworks and Major League Baseball in whatever form it takes. And when that happens, I think all of us who, as you said, make our living covering the sport will, uh, I think, really appreciate what we've missed. And hopefully the people we work for and work with will appreciate uh, what we're able to provide. And that is some entertainment and some fun and get people's minds off of all that's wrong uh, in the world right now. At least that's my hope. That's Chip Carey, the voice of the Atlanta Braves, St. Louis native, fun to visit with Chip. I'll be back to wrap it up on the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We do this every Monday night from 6 until 7. And also a reminder, I'm now with the station daily, 10 to 11. Scoops with Danny Mack. It's a daily show on 101 ESPN. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to Mike Schilt, Chip Carey, and Austin Gomber. And I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mac Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.